This podcast is presented by Rabbi Peretz Muchkin, speaking to the millennial generation. Hello, welcome to the Rabbi Peretz podcast. It's great to be back here trying to get some good vibes for the new year coming up. Rosh Hashanah is just a week away from today's recording. I'm recording on a Sunday, hopefully will be posted in the middle of the week. And I'm thinking about this past year. It's an incredible opportunity when you think about the upcoming schedule to always think about what happened before. And before I got to this Rosh Hashanah this year, I had last year's Rosh Hashanah. And last year, I was thinking about how this year was going to be a difficult year. Not difficult in the sense of challenges and unforeseen circumstances, but that it would be difficult to accomplish everything I set out for myself. I set out incredible high goals for myself, and I felt that in order to achieve that, I would have to do something to really help me stay stabilized, mood-wise, temperament. In other words, I felt there needed to be a balanced approach for me to accomplish that. And in the neighborhood that I moved to a couple of years ago to Venice Beach, I saw that the community was really health conscious. And having a really health conscious community really reminds you all the time to also be health conscious. So even though I set out my goals for my family, for my community, for the building that we're buying, for all the things that we're developing, I had not set out any goals for my own physical health. So I was hanging out with one of my new faves here in Venice Beach, Jordan Kravitz, my good friend. And we were discussing how it's time for a rabbi plan, a specific plan for parrots to engage with his health so that it could also not only affect me physically, but it could be intertwined with my spiritual growth. I didn't want just like a diet or a health regimen. I wanted something that was the perfect balance for my spiritual goals and my communal goals and all the other work I was doing so it would feel natural the whole way. After all, what does health really feel like? Health doesn't actually feel like much. Is when your hand feel when you feel your hand when you feel your legs that's a problem when you don't feel it that's like this health go moving in alignment with who you are so in order to achieve that we sat we made a plan and uh, it was unbelievable I spent uh, twelve and a half months now almost at the end of the thirteenth month it was a thirteenth month calendar year in the Jewish year and I lost almost thirty pounds feeling a lot better but more importantly I got through this incredibly challenging year. With, uh, with great joy and with great confidence because there was great balance physically and spiritually going through the whole year. There's no question that it made a huge impact. So I thought before the upcoming Rosh Hashanah, and I'm thinking about, again, my goals and my, uh, and my ideas for what I could do better spiritually, physically, I thought what a good time to bring in Jordan, introduce you guys to this uh, wonderful person, and to hear a little bit about his story and how he became somebody who's not only capable of uh, coaching the rabbi in health, but really has ideas that I think are really pertinent to people's personal growth and the world's growth and how we can start looking at health differently. So welcome, Jordan. Thank you for having me very much. You know, I got to tell you, I was thinking about this on the drive over. I had been invited to appear on many podcasts over the last three and a half years. And people who have known my story have wanted me to come on, not only for their own listeners, but for my own benefit to share my story. And I've been living in a small space of not wanting to tell the story, not wanting to share it necessarily, just been doing my own thing. And I told myself that I'm going to treat this as the opening of the floodgates and having liberation and sharing a lot of my journey. And I'm really happy to be here with you for what is ultimately a good reveal party of many aspects of my own path. Thank you. Well, 
I appreciate uh, you taking your podcast journey beginning here because there's going to be more to come. But for me, I see the world in my own way similar to you, which is we came from this incredible human background where we're holding at a place where the country is now fighting back towards instant gratification with its food and trying to figure out how to handle this uh, emergence of press a button and the food's there for you. And it's become so easy to get anything you want, whatever you desire essentially is available for you to eat. Now becomes time to have real conscious decisions about how to consume and how to eat. So I often talk to people about kosher from this model of consumption, but really that's not what kosher is and that's not what consumption is. It comes down to having to having a journey where when you're younger, you eat what's given to you and what you like and then you grow into adulthood and you realize that I have to have a plan for not only what I like, for, but how it affects me and how it affects my environment and all the things around us. And hence your journey, it's like it's unique to you, but it's also so important for people to hear how you came to where you came to through your own health journey. It's like you went from one space of childhood of eating and growing and handling emotions and physicality and life to what you're going to tell us about what you're at, what you're up to today and how you've come to be able to perfectly align your uh, local rabbi with the body and soul message. So I just want to open up with, you know, with this high holiday season, it's a good time to align ourselves with what we're doing here on earth. The whole concept of Rosh Hashanah is like alignment with what my mission is. So, but before you can figure out the mission, you want to hear the story, you want to hear the narrative. So I wanted to ask you, uh, since you're ready and open to share, what is that story? How did this health journey of yours begin? What, what prompted you to put your life into the health industry and to these concepts and to uh, develop what you're developing? I got to tell you, man, it's been a heck of a journey. Um, if you want to hear the full story or somewhat nutshelled, or maybe not nutshelled, I don't know how to do that great, but we got to go back in time. So we got to go all the way back to 2001. I was a 19-year-old kid, and I was a pretty normal kid growing up in Montreal, which is, in, Montreal. Which is, which is you know, a great place to grow up. For anyone who doesn't know Montreal, it's, I always say this, obviously I'm biased, but it's one of the most magical places to get to spend your childhood. Um, it's a very supportive community, not just the Jewish community, but the community in general. It's very what we would call laissez-faire, and it's, uh, it's just a nice, a nice vibe. Yeah, so what is less affair? Just give me that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the best way to describe it is that you can get away with a lot of things in Montreal that just don't fly anywhere else in North America. So I grew up kind of thinking, not that I was above the law, but when I got to the United States of America back in 2010, I was, I was a little blown away at first. It was, it was jarring to see how official things are and how, you know, you have to really respect the police and all these different things that as a kid growing up, it was, it was kind of a You came of a straight joke. to Los Angeles? No, my journey took me from Montreal to Toronto. Um, and then I left Toronto in January of 2010. I lived a few years in New York City and I've been living in Los Angeles for the last seven and a half, seven years and seven months. And I'm two days away from making my exit. Wow, I'm catching you at the right time. You're really catching me here. <laughs> so back in 2001, the health journey started when I was a fairly normal kid. And I use the term normal extremely loosely. Great. But I was a kid living in Montreal, having fun, going out, 
you know, partying, drinking, all the things that, you know, secular Jewish kids do, I guess. And I didn't have what I would call pristine, a pristine complexion. My skin was bugging me. I didn't have terrible acne, but I, I was getting some pimples and it really bugged me. And I went to a dermatologist and like any other 19 year old kid, I wasn't really inclined to ask a terrible series of questions. What's going to happen to me? What are the repercussions of this? What are the side effects? And I just took this Accutane drug, which has, you know, since been labeled the most dangerous, potent drug. And it's been, uh, it's got a black box warning on it. And it's, it's been totally wow. taken off the market in different, mar- in different countries. And there have been many lawsuits around it. But suffice to say, I took it and it really messed me up. Well, I mean, we're not conditioned to ask doctors a lot of questions. We feel like we're unqualified to ask questions. And I kind of understand where you're coming from. It takes a long time to realize that doctors have no problem with you asking questions. It's the only way for you to learn what's happening. And sometimes you'll ask enough questions that the doctor will find something specific for you instead of giving you something general like, oh, you have a general issue with your acne, take this medication. Who knows what the questions would have done. But either way, you took it and you found that it affected you. Yeah, and you're 100% right. When I was 19 years old, there was no part of me that thought to question a doctor. I never thought to myself, you know, how many hours of nutrition do they study in med school? You know, the answer to that is typically under four. I never thought to myself, what is this doctor's prescription rate? Um, I never thought to myself to even question anything that I was told. So fast forward, you know, I took the drug. It left me with a slew of side effects ranging from hormonal issues to digestive issues. I essentially woke up one day and knew that I was just completely broken. And this led me down. Is this like the worst side effects you can get from it? Like you were just on the scale of getting the worst side effects from a drug like this, right? I'm assuming there are people who took this drug and didn't get so affected by it. But You know, so to give you a little context, Accutane is synthetic vitamin A. And hypervitaminosis A, which is essentially vitamin A toxicity, is is a well-understood and accepted problem, even in mainstream conventional allopathic Western medicine. The issue... I'm going to pretend like I totally understood every word of that. <laughs> Break it down for me a little more. Give me, give me, give me layman's terms. In layman's terms... Yeah. WebMD acknowledges that hypervitaminosis A is a thing. Done. Got it. (laughs) So Accutane comes down, you know, the side effects that we just spoke about, it comes down to threshold. Mm. So if you're a kid who was raised in rural 1920s Europe, your likelihood of developing vitamin A toxicity is probably fairly low because ultimately you weren't subjected to ubiquitous vitamin A in the environment that you were living in. And vitamin A is found in all sorts of foods and plants and our diets today. I I use this term very precisely, but we're in a state right now where we all suffer to some degree, or maybe not suffer, but we all deal with some degree with chronic insidious vitamin A toxicity because it's really in all our foods in the form of either carotenoids, which you would find in foods like sweet potatoes, carrots, and a lot of the plant-based foods that are advocated for by the alternative and let's call it Instagram wellness influencers, et cetera. And you, you also- think it's just our lack of our lack of knowledge of what's 
what's percentage of what is in the foods we're eating. We don't, right? Because we don't eat from the inside out. We eat from the outside in. Like we eat what we see that looks good and is trending and has promises of certain effects on our health. And then we go and later find out whether or not I feel good on it and how it affects me. That comes later down the road. You're talking about now like, listen, this is how these things function. And if you're only eating a certain type of food and and, and a limited diet, you may be getting too much of one type of thing, which essentially would be taking Accutane and you're just getting a concentrated dose of that, but and, and not even that, a synthetic version of it. I think this is not a unique to Accutane or vitamin A problem. Mm. I think that we're living in an environment that is bombarding us with toxins from every angle that is in an unprecedented level. We're talking everything from fat-soluble, quote, vitamins like vitamin A, which I believe is more a toxin than a vitamin, but it's all, it also pertains to heavy metals such as mercury. It pertains to PCBs, plastics. It pertains to electromagnetic fields you know, and radiation, electrosmog from Wi-Fi. If you go back just 20 years ago, we, we had you know, a fraction of the cell towers that exist right now in the United States, and people you know, are not excited about walking around with tinfoil hats on their head trying to protect themselves from electrosmog, but the reality is... We're living in an environment today, especially in the United States, that is completely unprecedented. And we're a giant experiment of the largest magnitude. They just rolled out 5G technology across the United States, and it's still being rolled out. And it is so much more potent than 4G was. And 4G was so much more potent than 3G was. And it's just, it's, it's growing. So essentially, the same way we started off with like newer and newer pharmaceuticals, like you know, uh, maybe in the, in the, in, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, it was for big things. It was penicillin, you know, in World War II or, or looking for different types of, uh, Benadryl becoming great, you know, for children or things like that. But then it starts like we have to make drugs for everything, for pimples, for, uh, for, for, for more, more, more minutia of living. And that's the same thing is happening also with technology and with food, and with health, and with pretty much all resources, there's the beginning of it where it's like this, like, this is what we're using, this is what's available, this is what's needed, and then it becomes like preference and and now misinformation and hard to understand what you're getting. And I did read this morning, actually, in, uh, in the NY Times, there was a, an article about people in other countries being really upset about the rollout of 5G, so... I have heard things like that, and 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 even though nothing is particularly offensive or bad to me, or maybe even to you, but then so much is misunderstood as well about how it's affecting us, and we don't know the long term difficulties. So I think uh, I think it's 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 great to talk to you because you may be like uh, the canary in the coal mine a little early on of like how certain things have affected you and what you have to do to reverse that effect, essentially. That's what's exciting to me about the conversation usually with you is like, you went through this. You're not like reading articles and giving your hypothetical feelings towards it. You had a problem, you took care of it with Accutane, and then it resulted in a whole nother journey of like how what was in there affected you and how to reverse that effect and release those toxins from you. Yeah, I, if someone were to ask me how I approached my journey and how I still approach it to this day through life... I would say that I'm someone who's willing to do what others are unwilling to do in order to have what others will probably not have. So what happened to you? Well, like what happened in 2001 and two? Where were you holding physically? So physically, I mean, if you want to get down to the specifics of it, digestively, um, you know, I had a, a slew of issues. I'm talking, you know, abdominal 
cramping. Um, going to the bathroom was like an adventure. Um, I had many new allergy sensitivities. Uh, my body parts would fall asleep. Like I'm not exaggerating. I'd wake up in the morning. It would take me 15 minutes just to get my neck to be able to move. My voice was extremely hoarse. My hair became super, super dry. My skin was always itchy. My energy levels were completely depleted. I was always cold. And for a 20-year-old red-blooded male, my desire for sex was way lower than it should have been, which was ar arguably the most disheartening side effect that I experienced from this drug. So it was like across the board, you were feeling like this uh, weakness going yeah, you across just, your, your, your physicality. You, you feel, it, it's like, there's no better way to describe it than to feel like your mojo has been rubbed. And you just, you can't understand how you have all these seemingly unrelated symptoms. And until you actually dig into the literature... You can't even understand how one relates to the other. Why, why is my hair dry and my reproductive organ not interested in getting up? Like, what are those two things? Like, why are they in the same sentence? But it's a real thing. And so I just went on a journey at that point of, you know, two to three years. And I saw... A journey, you mean like you start with a doctor, what do I do? I'm not feeling good. You go to the next, you keep going to the next, the next to try to essentially heal yourself taking life into my own hands and doing what a lot of people who are, you know, falling between the cracks with chronic illness would do. Meaning you go to a doctor, you start with your family medicine doctor and you realize, oh, this guy knows absolutely nothing. Next, then you go to a specialist. This guy doesn't know anything. Next, then you go to a shaman, a healer, a naturopath, a homeopath. And before you know it, you've been to 45, 50 different types of healers in three years and my parents who were, I mean, I have wonderful parents and I'm super appreciative for the time and money that they put into helping me on my journey the best that they could financially, emotionally. And it, it was hard for them, right? And I had a lot of guilt around, about depleting their financial, you know, reserves. Um, and it, it, was, it was certainly something that weighed on me for a long time until I was able to take matters into my own hands. But those first two to three years, I figured out a lot of things. I adopted extreme diets. I tried some pretty interesting healing modalities. But at that point, I was still only scratching the surface and I achieved enough gains to really take it to a level where health was not necessarily holding me back from living life. So I would say by 2000, end of 2005, let's call it the four-year mark of my journey, I was nowhere near necessarily where I wanted to be, but I was okay. And I was living life and this wasn't preventing me from doing a lot of the things that I wanted to do, but it was always hanging in the background. Well, looking back, how would you, uh, based on like doctors and yourself, what was your diagnosis? Would you call it an autoimmune issue? Would you, what, what was like specifically, how would people, cause I think there are people out there who struggle health wise, but they have a hard time explaining what they're going through because if it doesn't fit into the conventional box, sometimes it's very hard to you know, pinpoint what it is you could do to get healthier. You know, I did a talk about two years ago and it was interesting. It was in front of a small group. It was under 30 people. And during this talk, I knew that a good portion of the audience was, it was comprised of people who'd been suffering chronically with let's call it mystery illnesses. Hmm. And what I found to be extremely painful was at the end of the talk, people were aware that I was doing some private one-on-one -on -one coaching with people to you know, offer them education 
and some guidance based on my own experience. And by no stretch do I fancy myself as a doctor and I don't advertise that I'm a doctor because I'm not, nor do I want to be one. But in my coaching that I've done, I've learned a lot of, I've learned that there are some commonalities that just repeat themselves almost without fail. And at the end of that talk, out of, out of 25, 30 people in the room, I was probably approached by 90% of the room asking really in-depth questions. And I said, look, if you want to get in touch, here's my email address, shoot me an email. And I actually got an email from, I would say, just about every person that I gave my address to. And it goes to show you that the, adre- the, the solutions, the answers to these problems, they're not found on WebMD. They're not found at the doctor's office. They're found in your, within your own resolve. And you have to become your, the CEO of your own health. And for me, to answer the specific question that you asked, autoimmunity, what was it that you had? It's actually irrelevant because the most important thing to know is that I was unwell. And my specific issue is not necessarily going to pertain to everyone else out there, but I had reached the pinnacle of my toxic burden. I, my hypothesis and I, I mean, a couple of points there. I love so much. The idea that you have to take control of your own health is above and beyond uh, an adolescent journey, right? You grow up and at some point you just have to take responsibility for what you're putting in you and how you're using your energy and how you actually feel and dealing with it and making honest decisions about that. So I I think that that's that's very relatable, especially for people who you call it the mystery illness. I I I like the term, but I, I like to call it the the just. I know I'm feeling something, but I I can't even describe it because I don't even want to take the time to deal with it until it just de. Until I'm debilitated, right? Until it finally affects me that it's actually impeding my ability to move forward in life. So you're like you're sitting in a room with people who they're at that point where they feel like they're they're not moving forward and their health is completely holding them back. And it starts playing with them mentally and uh, and really pushing them. So they're people are looking all over the world for alternative uh, type of uh, answers to these things. And oftentimes that world itself is also a very difficult world to navigate. So it seems to me like you you recognize that missing link as well. So you here is the beginning of your personal journey turning into your coaching journey of the missing link of like how to do research for what's out there to figure out what you really need. I don't think that the alternative world is better than the conventional world. In fact, I think in most, let me not say most, let me say in many cases, the alternative world is far more dangerous. Um, the lack of regulation, and I'm not saying government policy and government regulation, the FDA or the be-all, end-all, but there's nobody regulating the supplement industry. You don't know what you're putting in your body half the time. There's advice being doled out on Instagram that might pertain to 1% of the 1% of the chronically ill people, and it's really dangerous. And it's right, important. You're by no means advocating that conventional medicine is bad. It's just... It, it, and 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 uh, you you got to be careful no matter what you're doing. But if anything, the at least conventional medicine has deep regulations constantly. Listen, man, drugs suck, but they have their place. Like nobody wants to take them. But if you told me that I need to take a drug and it's going to help me immensely, and here's the potential risk associated with that drug, I can make an educated decision as long as I am the boss of my own health and I'm willing to own the repercussions. For example. A few years ago, I developed a brutal sinus infection, and I was given a choice. I was told you can take Cipro or Levaquin, which is a 
class of antibiotics that falls in the quinolone family, which are known to cause a slew of side effects, very well studied. Um, peripheral neuropathy, uh, tendon rupturing, just all sorts of nasty stuff. And I was told you could take that or you can put a pick line in your arm and inject yourself with antibiotics every day for 28 days with an antibiotic that will come potentially with side effects, but is far more benign than a Cipro or a Leviquin. I opted for the latter, knowing that I am not willing to live with the repercussions and the ramifications that might come with taking one of those two atomic nuclear bomb types of antibiotics. I never met anyone who even got those options. Usually when I'm at the doctor and they're giving antibiotics, like, here's your antibiotics, here's your prescription. And I, I never even bother saying, is there another type of antibiotic? Is there a difference between one and the other? That doesn't even occur to me. Of and course, just the take thing. the antibiotic. And this, is, and this is part of what's wrong with where we're at, in, not just in health, but the world. We're not questioning things. It's like you go on the internet and people are talking about everything from, you know, vaccines, right? You, you, you tell someone that you're, an anti, you're anti-vaccines, a lot of these anti-vaxxers, they don't even know why they're anti-vaccine, right? And these pro-vaxxers, they're not willing to listen to these anti-vaxxers and the stories that they might have to tell about the, the damage it's caused to their children. It's, it's almost about identifying as part of a movement without really understanding and questioning. And so, but I understand from you that you on, on all these health topics, you're not, you're not actually biased towards one or the other. You're just saying, take control, ask more questions, learn more, know more about your health. What I'm saying the is the earlier you take that responsibility, you're getting there. That's exactly right. And, and as, and as someone who's, I've coached a lot of people and as someone who, I, I've said this to everyone that I've worked with and who's asked me for advice, don't trust anyone, myself included. You are the boss of your own health. I am merely an educator who can offer you experience based on my own journey, but by no means is my opinion the bottom line. So take me back to you uh, when you started moving from Canada, from you were already on somewhat of a health journey. Uh, what brought you to Los Angeles? So I was living in Montreal. Um, I was an entrepreneur since I was you know, 19, 20 years old. Uh, when I had started my second company, I was 26 years old, 27, around that age. By the time I was 28, I was fairly immature in my decision-making, and I was in a ton of personal debt from injecting capital into my business. And I just had to get humble. And I said, okay, listen, it's time to go get a job. So I moved to Toronto, um, got a job. It was a good job, met some really great people. And there was an office, they had an office, they were, they were seeking to expand in New York. And I got moved to New York to head up the, one of the divisions in that office. And I moved to New York, lived there for a couple of years. And my years in New York were very unfocused on health. I was always maintaining um, a baseline of health habits, meaning, let's call it- Working out. Yeah, I was always going to yoga every so often. I was lifting weights, you know, maybe once or twice a week. I was eating way better than 95% of people, but I was still making poor choices. I was drinking alcohol two to three nights a week. I was sleeping very poorly. Um, I was making what I would call um, immature decisions um, in my personal life. And I woke up one day, I was 29 years old, and I told myself, I'm not madly in love with who I am as a person. And it didn't, it didn't mean that I was a bad person because I never felt like I always, I always knew in my heart who I was and what I wanted to bring to the world. But I felt like I was wasting the gift of life. And I woke up somewhere around, you know, middle, middle of you know, 29 and a half ish. And I decided I was just going to make changes. So rather than go out and wake up and 
strange women's apartments every you know weekend or more than every weekend. I completely stopped doing that. Um, I completely stopped drinking alcohol. I got back to a lot of my health practices. And it's almost like a heroin addict, you know, when you're trying to detox. I would be in bed on a Saturday night at nine o'clock, staring up at the ceiling, twitching. And I just wanted to get serious about my life. And it was right at that time that I, I called into my life um, a woman that would ultimately eventually be my fiance. And she played a pretty pivotal role in keeping me grounded as I transitioned into my 30s and tried to establish a state of maturity. That's uh, that's. So that calling, though, that happens also connects to like not feeling fulfilled in the general, the general life experience. You know, to tie it back into Judaism, I... Yeah, tell me, how does, how does uh, the Jewish narrative affect all this? <laughs> Jewish kid from Montreal. Jewish kid from Montreal was completely disconnected from Judaism. And I remember it was High Holidays 2000... I want to say it was Rosh Hashanah 2010... I was, I was at NYU and I was, I was at the, the services at NYU and I was sitting there thinking to myself, man, I used to go to synagogue with my grandfather all the time and I'm sitting here right now and this all feels so familiar to me yet it feels so disconnected. And the way that, you know, the way that the rabbi would, would look at, you know, the, the, the Chaz and Shani and the can the way that the way that, they, that everyone just looked at each other and motion that everyone seemed to be in like some sort of secret club that I just wasn't a part of. It didn't feel inclusive. And I remember after that experience, it, that was actually one of the triggering events for me to want to live a different life. Because while I was there, even though I didn't feel like I was a part of something, I felt like I was in the company of people who had their life more together. And I was aspiring to do that. I just didn't know how to, how to bring that all together. And it wasn't until years later when, truthfully, I met you that I became interested in revisiting my, my upbringing and my roots. Well, like, like everything you're saying, everything in life comes down to you making the choice to do it. There's something really beautiful about life, and that is that really everything that happens to you is your choice, essentially. We talk about often that it was against my choice, and when something happens against your own will, we, we consider that a grievous uh, a grievance uh, 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 to 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 yell in society. You see, today everybody talks about what's what's happened to them. It's a transparent society, talking about uh, movements of trying to deal with what has happened in the past and digging everything up. It's all about when something happens against one's will and one's choice. That's what these conversations are about. But I, I like the switching of the conversation to, well, what do you do with your choice? What choices are you making? Are you taking this incredible, if, somebody, if something happens to you against your choice and it's so terrible, imagine how great it could be when we make high quality choices. That to me is the nature of the health conversation is the choices you are making. And at the center, I think of Jewish life you have the same mistake. People feel like Judaism is happening and like, okay, I have to opt into it. It's not my choice. I'm just going there. Whereas where I grew up in Judaism, it's all about making the choice to actively become part of what you're doing. And when you make that choice, it becomes a very powerful utility to see your growth and see the context of it. So tell me, uh, tell me like the real change when, uh, like, where were you holding physically when you decided to really not only get into health, but go into the health industry and leave behind type of the jobs that you were pursuing and the, and the wealth you were pursuing and switch to health and, and body and 
your 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 website uh, that you had for a very long time and still have healevate.com. Tell me how you got to that uh, to that space. So I've always been very good at leaning into adventure and just saying whatever comes next, let's go for it. Um, it was 2000. It was early 2012. I had an opportunity with a very close friend of mine out here in LA who was trying to figure out his life, and he had sold his company a few years prior, and he wanted to have me come out to LA. And you know, the lady that I mentioned to you at the time, who I eventually became engaged to, she was doing her master's in Vancouver, and we were doing. We had started doing a long distance relationship, and it was it was pretty arduous. You know, the time zone differences in different countries. And I thought to myself, you know what, if I move to LA, I take the shot on this, this place that, frankly, I didn't know a ton about. I actually thought at the time, I thought what a lot of people thought. LA's phony and plastic, and there's a lot of Hollywood nonsense. And you know what, there is a lot of that. But I wanted to give it a chance, and I took a shot. I moved out here in February of 2012. And as I told you at that point, there was no more, I stopped drinking, I was, there was no partying. My life became about much deeper meaning, I began different practices very slowly. I was a slow adopter with meditation. I began meditating um, in 2013, and I was slow to adopt it. It was, it was tough for me. But once I started seeing some returns on that, which was probably only a few years later, to be honest, it became a normal part of, or a regular part of my regimen. Health in general in Los Angeles is, I find, to be a very big double-edged sword. On one hand, it's easy to be healthy because you've got a community of people out here who all want to look good. Everybody's trying to make it in the entertainment industry and they're eating. Society pressure to look great. There's a lot of pressure. And, you know, people are doing juice cleanses and they're hiking and they're taking selfies at Runyon and it's all, quote, healthy. But then there's the other side of it. And that pressure can be crippling. And not only can it be crippling, but who's to say that the Instagram diet is right for you? Who's to say that 17 item salads are healthy? Who's to say that purple smoothies are healthy? Who's to say that downing packages of powders and supplements and looking at your favorite Instagram influencers discount codes and thinking, wow, they're so healthy. I want to be like them. Who's to say any of that is actually healthy? What if true health comes back to simplicity? And this is the bigger journey that I've been on in the last few years, which is I don't want to add myself to the collective of individuals influencing a subset of the population to add more complications to their routine. I don't necessarily think that supplements are for everyone. I think there's a certain collect, small collection of supplements that can be used to supplement a diet because our soils are fairly depleted and it's hard to get everything you need out of our foods, especially in the U.S. Everything is sprayed with pesticides, glyphosate, Roundup. It's a whole other story that I could do two to three podcasts on just on that one topic. But truthfully, the simplicity with which we discussed even your diet plan is how I approach my own life, my own eating habits. And, and you know this, right? I, I eat very simply and I don't try to eat, you know, using that example, 17 item salads with apple cider vinegar and olive oil and grilled chicken and avocado and hemp seeds and sprouts. And it, you know how hard that is to digest, man? Like, you think you can digest 20 things at once? I mean, I think I can. <laughs> I mean, God bless you if you can, but I don't think the average person could do that with regularity. And I think that going back to my story of vitamin A toxicity and how that's played a role in blocking my detoxification pathways 
which are the, the gut, the skin. My liver has, you know, always been a challenge for me in getting up to speed. And I've done dramatic things, um, things that would freak people out. I mean, you know this, you know my story. But. I mean, like, but to keep it simple, when I eat, I want it to taste good, right? And yep. I want the energy. Those are the two main things I want out of my food. I want to get, I want to have the energy and I want to feel good. And then uh, at night, I want uh, to feel good and maybe to feel even better, you know, like, and not even worry too much about the energy. I'm going to sleep it off. But not knowing that a lot of what I'm eating is very much, is, is very complicated and, 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 uh, and because of its complications is blocking my body from digesting well and uh, breaking it down well and dealing with that. I was simply, I thought I was eating somewhat healthy when I met you, like generally a healthy eater. I don't have a massive sweet tooth, but at the same time, I could not lose any weight. I was feeling super sluggish all the time. I was essentially only getting energy from the food I ate. Like my energy was entirely related to what I consumed. And I started reading and hearing a lot of, a lot of diets that actually had a very attractive end game. The end game was that you're getting your energy from yourself and the food is just a balance for your body to operate well. And like, but the energy was coming from within. And I love that idea because it goes back to like spiritually making your own choices and, and coming to conclusions from your own, from your own um, vital source, which is the healthiest way to make decisions and grow and own up to when your decisions didn't work. Now I get more intel and I make better decisions. So I really was looking for the right, the, something, something that would, could click rationally and how get a simplified health diet. So it was at the perfect time when I met you for these, for like your your understanding of detoxification is is quite co complex. I listen often to what you're saying and I'm like, I just happen to know you've done all this research and I've seen your website. So you actually have like documented like article after article after article about all the research you've done. So it's pretty amazing with each diet and each health class and each trend. But it really came down to like, what is a simple diet look like? And that's why I wanted to ask you, like, what does the ultimate health vision really look like? What does a healthy vision look like for people? So the simple answer to that is that it's not always about food. First of all, there is absolutely no one size fits all diet that simply does not exist. It is a myth. So people who are on the internet talking about paleo or vegan or keto, which is the buzzword of 2019, I'm just not with it. To me, the human diet is a seasonal, local, responsive diet. And what that means is, if you were to go back in time and think about hunter-gatherers and what we're able to actually get in our local environment. So in the fall, you, know, you might eat more root vegetables. Um, in the summer, you might have more fruits. But I don't think that the way that we've demonized certain foods needs to be done. Sugar, for example. Um, imagine I walked into a, a, a health conference of any kind, and I said that sugar actually isn't the devil that we're making it out to be. You'd have 50 Instagrammers get up in under 10 seconds and shoot a video of me and put all these weird emojis all over me. And the reality is, what credentials do any of us have, really, to talk about this? Sugar is the most demonized food of the last decade, without question. Prior to that, we demonized fats. It just goes in cycles. Carbs are bad, right? But no, they're not. It's a matter of what you can tolerate and in what quantities. If you drink too much water, you'll become sick. You'll become intoxicated with water. Anything in excess will be bad. But that doesn't mean 
everything in moderation. If it was everything in moderation, why aren't we drinking a little bit of Windex every so often? Mm. So it's about making good choices for your body. And for me, I can't tell you that this is something that would apply to everyone. I found tremendous success with a simple diet consisting mainly of poultry, beef, especially game. So bison or buffalo, uh, lamb, uh, venison, elk, and chicken, turkey. I eat some really simple, easy to digest vegetables. Um, I'll have some fruits, but I also follow a vitamin A depletion diet because this is an ongoing and slow journey for me that I'm not in a rush to reach a finish line for. And I'm enjoying the process of slowly and quietly eliminating vitamin A from my body as I continue to absorb nutrients. I love certain foods that most people may not have a palate for. For example, buckwheat. I make buckwheat pancakes all the time. I love buckwheat. But I made buckwheat pancakes for a friend recently and he was like, this is just lacking sugar. Do you have, do you have some sugar? And that's when you know you have a sugar addiction and that's when sugar is bad. And that's when you can demonize that addiction. But it doesn't mean that sugar that comes from you know a bowl of raspberries is necessarily bad. You just have to sort of use common sense. And I know for everyone, that's not necessarily a, a built-in compass, but there is a degree of innate understanding that is within each of us that has to be tapped into. Well, you have to develop your common sense. Uh, it, it's like common sense, of course, you think is intuitive, but again, we don't have all the information to then use our intuition of how to make those decisions. I think it should be somewhat intuitive that it's probably better to have sugar if you're going to have it later in the day than early in the day so that it's not, it's to me at least, so that it's a pick-me-up in the afternoon instead of a generator in the morning. I don't want to be generating my energy from sugar from breakfast. Like I, That's how I mentally see it. But then again, I do have coffee in the morning. I use that to, uh, to, get, me, to get me going. I, uh, so I realized that... Uh, to add to my coffee after speaking with you a lot now, I make sure that actually my first beverage in the morning is usually water. And then I pushed off my coffee an hour so that it's not starting my organs with the coffee. My organs are being start, start starting up in the morning with something way simpler like water that just really gets the body going saying like, oh, you're going to be consuming today. So I like the simple path and, uh, and, I, and I like that your ultimate vision is ultimately simplicity. That's what the ultimate vision is. Yeah, the key to this whole thing for me, it, health is really a, a, a multifaceted, it, it's what I would call a multifaceted approach and it's not just about diet. The key to having better health, proven over and over in many different studies, is building what we would call a bigger mitochondrial engine. And your mitochondria are what are ultimately going to fuel you and give you the energy required to not only complete tasks, but to do them with joy. And so the biggest variables are not only your diet. You know, we were just talking a little bit about mitochondria and the key to health, but I'll just say we got interrupted briefly by your wonderful family. And I would say that in addition to mitochondria, the key to health is community. So let's come back to that topic because, oh, yeah. because that's a good one that you've helped me with. So I'll come back to that. But to answer the question that you asked about health, so... Building Vision a, for ultimate health. Yes. So bigging, building a bigger mitochondrial engine is not just about food. So the diet is certainly one component, but we are not just biochemical beings. We're also bioelectric. And the biggest needle movers in people's lives, we're so sedentary. We live in these offices, uh, sitting under these toxic fluorescent lights in these compact little spaces with limited airflow, not getting enough sunlight. The way that we should be living as a bioelectrical being 
is outdoors, getting adequate sunlight every day, especially during solar noon to maximize vitamin D consumption, which is, you know, really a hard thing to get from diet. That's the truth. And it's not something you ever want to supplement. And I know that may be something that would go against you, what you've been told by your naturopath or functional medicine practitioner, or even your Instagram influencer, but it's just not what you want to do. And frankly, if you can nail down the bioelectric component, meaning getting into a body of water, getting near the ocean, grounding, stepping on the earth, getting your share of negative ions flowing into your body, breathing in some clean air, which is very difficult in Los Angeles, to be quite honest. And I mean, it's just, this place is crazy. That's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, just getting outside and getting back to nature and hanging out with loved ones, reducing stress, all that good stuff. I would take a guy who's eating you know, conventional, non-organic, glyphosate-laden dough pizza with his five or six children and community and joy and love and drinking water and just getting outside and working in the dirt every day as a construction worker. I'll take that guy's health and put it up against the Instagram influencer who sits at home every day blogging on her computer all day while drinking her matcha tea with her collagen powder slipped in there every single day of the week. Well, I, I took that very serious because I thought like I, I was I had moved from San Francisco to here and I was really struggling to have like what I believed was the right energy for my age. <laughs> like I was really like falling apart. And I told you 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 asked me about my morning routine and I would talk about how I wake up in the morning and I immediately in bed I'm doing in a meditation, Modaani, which I've done a podcast on, and then I would wash my hands and I've done a podcast on the washing hands and and say my uh, morning like blessings and then start my day. And what I added to that was I actually have just a tiny little area right out my door, like a closed little space. And I actually just walk outside now every morning with my bare feet when I do my five minutes of blessing. So I'm immediately getting whatever wind and whatever like quiet, like it's like 6am ish. And I'm like getting this, this like whatever my environment has to offer or whatever, like you say, electrons from the floor is pulsating. I can take a little bit of that in. And, it's, and, I, and, it's, and I found it to be, no matter what the weather is, cold, warm, whatever, I found it to be something really uh, awesome to incorporate into what I'm doing uh, already. And it's been, uh, the, I think that, that, that has made a huge difference to me. So. I love that. I love that. And to anyone who thinks they want to improve their health, I really would say before you go out and spend thousands of dollars on a coach of any kind or a doctor of any kind, start with the very basics of the foundation. Get outside, breathe in some clean air, meditate, sweat, open your detox pathways, build a bigger mitochondrial engine, get sunlight, clean up your diet, try to eat foods that are as close to the earth as possible. Meaning if you're going to eat plants, try to, if you can't grow them yourself, try to get them from your local farmer's market, even if they're not certified organic, eat simple. You don't need to eat 13 different vegetables at every meal. If you want to eat meats, don't fall victim to any hyper hysteria around meat being dangerous or bad for you. It is absolutely human food and should be eaten. Just be conscious of your consumption quantity and make good choices. Try to eat, you know, if you're, if you're kosher, it's going to be more expensive, but kosher in and of itself is a cleaner practice, but eating grass-fed kosher, organic kosher, you know, that would be fantastic. Uh, feed lots and you know, factory farming is obviously super toxic, something like, to avoid. In other words, as soon as you get into it, you can you start intuitively finding the better quality and better and better 
you you gravitate towards these. Bands. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't happen overnight, right? If you go back to 2001, 2002, I was living off of, you know, frozen pizza and Dunkaroos. And that was my life. I was doing fast food, frozen pizza, Dunkaroos. I was, I didn't get sick by accident. My, my, as I said, my, my threshold for toxic vitamin A was probably quite low to begin with. I had so many other variables. I was born a C-section. I, my mom, you know, this is 1981. My mom thought it was cool to smoke a couple cigarettes while she was pregnant. I mean, all this other stuff, God bless her. Everything worked out relatively okay. 80s, baby. 80s. <laughs> but I mean, I was put behind the eight ball. I was a kid with a lot of allergies. It was just always there. I had ear infections as a kid. I mean, it's just, it's tough, right? So you're set into this toxic world to begin with. And I mean, through the placenta, you're given so so many different problems just right out of the gate. So you got an uphill battle from the very start, it, just to, just and by, by default. Dispositions and uh... you know, genes are a funny topic. A lot of people buy into genetic predispositions as a big variable of illness. And I will tell you that genes will definitely load the gun, but your environment will pull the trigger. So you are in control of your own destiny and. Don't play the victim and fall into a trap of saying, you know what? It's just genetic because it's not. That's simply untrue. The genes are there. You can always rise above them. Okay. Now, uh, so just uh, what is uh, some trigger words that are out there today? What do they mean to you and what should they mean? Like rapid fire style? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, yeah. Some like rapid fire words right, that come to it. mind when we talk. Like I think like uh, wellness. What does wellness mean? What, it sh- what should it mean? I can only tell you what wellness means to me. Wellness to me is a state of mind where health and wellness and well-being is not top of mind. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but I, I would define someone who is well as someone who is not fixated on their health. That goes back to the idea that what does health feel like? You know, you don't feel your, your limbs when you're feeling well. At that same talk that I told you about in front of that group of 25 or 30 people, someone it was, it, was, it was tough to hear, but this woman raised her hand and she said, what does it feel like to be well? And I said, it doesn't feel like anything. Right. Because when you're well, you're not thinking about it. You're taking it for granted and you're just living and it's a great place to be. And the beauty of being well is that it's just operating in the background of all the other things that you want to accomplish. Play with your kids, play in your rec league softball, do everything else that you want to do. Nice. What about the word Mindfulness. Mindfulness. I would say, because maybe we started off with wellness that it doesn't feel like much, but if you're not mindful at some point, it's going to affect the wellness. You know, I, that's how I see it. We're that's sitting you, here. Mindful. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. We're we're sitting here right now in Venice. Okay, this is arguably the epicenter of quote hashtag mindfulness. Okay, mindfulness is the new black, and I like mindfulness the way it used to be. And that's where you came into my life and you brought a different type of mindfulness that had been forgotten. So the new mindfulness that I see in, quote, Venice circles, and you'd find maybe potentially in some types of camps at Burning Man, that mindfulness, it doesn't particularly resonate with me because that's the type of mindfulness that's related to what I would call passive aggressive or passive judgment, where it's like, I'd rather just shoot straight. Mindfulness is not always about rainbows and unicorns. It's about being really present and being really conscious and being really in your truth of who you are and what life means to you. And I think that Judaism has 
of any religion, and I'm, I don't pretend to be an expert on religion, but from what you have taught me, and from what I know from my upbringing about Judaism, Judaism is one of the most mindful religious practices that we have in existence. Well, I know, I know you have some cynicism towards other, other parts of the health community because of a lot of the superficiality associated with it. I actually have a little less so only because I have this great hope for everybody where my hope is that any form of mindfulness, if you really like want it, you're going to have to continue peeling away the layers to get there. And so, so I, I know, I know that when you're saying like, Oh, I, I see it more in the Judaism that you bring. It's just because there's a pursuit. It, even though I, I love the idea that Judaism has it and the wisdom is there and the information is there, but more importantly, it has to have the individual pursuit to peel away those layers, to find those things that speak to you. And maybe sometimes the mindfulness and meditative constructs that are out there right now aren't looking to give that to you. They're just looking to for everybody to feel good in the moment. And the feeling good in the moment doesn't necessarily lend itself to continuously feeling good. So I think that's what you mean by the mindfulness. Sometimes it seems limited because it's only for right now when it's really an end-to-end experience of peeling away layers and layers of, of being very present all the time. Yeah, and you know, I have empathy, right? I understand that these people promoting mindfulness are doing the best they can within a system that is, in its very core, pretty broken. Right? You're promoting mindfulness through Instagram, as an example. And that very medium is enough to send someone into a tailspin of sadness and depression, looking at the beautiful, amazing life that someone else is living with the picturesque backgrounds and all that good stuff. So while you're trying to promote this potentially awesome thing and to get people to meditate and have consciousness and raising awareness and all these things, you're, you're doing it through a practice that could easily trigger them in a, in a negative way. And there's nothing you can really do about that through that medium. It's just the way it is right now. So well, I have, I have an think that if people had, you know, at least, at least let's say, let's say you get your start for a lot of these ideas off social media or superficial realities, then you go into your own journey and then you start, uh, I mean, at this point in my life, I just look at influencers on Instagram as at least they're promoting nice and good things versus the other side of news that I consume, which is just negative and political and, and does not feed on the best parts of humanity. Like there's something about where we're holding now, where I almost like a pre- I've come back to appreciating uh, influence and social media because with all the in the beginning of social media, I felt like it was only it was like baby pictures and friends and family, and then politics sort of took over social media. And now, like influencers, yes, it's commercial value and selling things, but it's also like we're promoting at least the first generation of individual health and giving. And that's why I even tell you to go on social media more and to do it more because there's an audience for everyone and people want to connect in micro communities and being able to learn from each other best practices. So I I I love that you you reject the the superficiality out there. But I also think like there's a point where it's like don't reject it so much that you won't use it yourself because it is the medium we have right now to share a lot of what we have to share. And, and I led this podcast off by saying something very true, which is that I have been playing small in certain ways by rejecting podcast invitations, by not being a bigger presence on social media, by not putting myself out there more. And there's, you know, I have my reasons for that as well. Everybody goes through their own, their own challenges. Um, so I'm not one to sit in judgment of these influencers. I have a lot of admiration for a lot of influencers who are putting themselves out there, even if the information that they're disseminating is not necessarily what I would agree with. 
They've got courage, and for that, they deserve to be applauded. There's no question about it. I just take issue with some of the information that is put out there in a very authoritative tone that could be what I would call, in a very best case, a little bit wrong, but in a very worst case, extremely dangerous if in the wrong hands of someone who really doesn't know how to make their own decisions and be the CEO of their own health. Well, one of the ways of making sure that you are not becoming susceptible to like information that's put out there and then you're taking it is having a, a, diverse, a diverse experience in life. You have not only your home and your work, but also having a community outside of that. And that's one of my goals is to create a community that brings something new to the table. And when I say diversity or diverse, what I really mean is you just being in a presence of a lot of other people and having to tolerate other people is a form of diversity. You just, you know, at the workplace, you tolerate for one reason. In your house, you don't tolerate for the same reasons. And but in a community, they're like a, a bit of both. It's sort of like a home and sort of like a network. And you have to learn to tolerate different opinions and different people out there. So I think at the heart, community is what really allows us to happen. So how's that happened for you here in Venice? You know, we have such a great experience in the couple of years that we've uh, grown and the community's grown and you're part of that. So I'd just like to hear how you, how you mine the right type of practices and community and what you found here. Hmm. You know, I've been through, even in the last couple of years, and you know this, I've taken on some really interesting guinea pig experiments with my own body. I've had stretches of weeks, months where my routine consists of wake up, salt water rinse, swim in the ocean, meditation, coffee enema, rectal ozone. Oh, uh, right. You know, like it, it's just the whole thing, right? And so infrared sauna, like I do this, I was doing this at a point daily and I'm doing this whole routine daily and, you know, you're supposed to feel great for a minute. It's great. But I would say that for me, when I felt my best during my time living here on the west side of Los Angeles. It hasn't been necessarily when I'm doing this whole health routine and regimen in isolation in my home. Um, it's been when I'm maybe doing less and I'm spending a lot more time in a, in a community, surrounded by a community of people where I feel accepted. And that doesn't necessarily come easily, but I've said this to you privately and in front of a group of people here at your home. I've never felt more comfortable or accepted in a community, Jewish or otherwise, the way I have in this community that you've built here in Venice. And it makes me feel extremely able to be myself on my good days and my bad days. You know, you. when I have a bad hair day or I'm tired or I got a pimple or whatever it may be, I can still come here and I can still be myself and I'm not expected to put up the facade of perfection and we can have a journey together on the human experience where women in this community are upset because they're getting older and they're not married or guys are upset because their businesses aren't thriving or we can talk about all of it because perfection isn't expected facades aren't necessary and the greatest form of healing that i've experienced aside from true physical modification is really community that's amazing what um 
what has happened in your life uh, in the community. I uh, a lot has happened in yeah. this community for you. Yeah. Um, uh, how much are you willing to share? Yeah, I mean, I'm an open book with this. Um, I guess this ties into the continuation of my last part of my story after I moved to LA. But you know, as you know, I met I met Maya here in your home, Maya. And I are expecting our first child together in just just about five months. Bishah Tova, a good auspicious time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's incredible. We met we met February first, two thousand nineteen, in your living room, and you know, you and I were at the gym together back in I think it was November, and you said to me, "Listen, you know, I know you don't want to be set up by the rabbi." I know that you don't want to have like a Jewish, you know, setup type of thing, but I got this girl for you and I think you guys would really hit it off. She's had a really interesting health journey and you've had this really interesting health journey and, and I, I, I cut you off and I was like, listen, I don't need to have health be the touch point with, with a woman and I'm not, I'm not interested in being set up. And you said, okay. And you dropped it. And to add a little more context, I'm coming from a place where Going back to 2015, here in LA is when I had my major health collapse. I, I was engaged, and to be, to really not mince the words, I didn't want to marry that woman. And that's not because she's not wonderful, because she's an absolutely wonderful person and lady, and she's, she's played, she played a pivotal part in me turning into a man. And I've actually personally thanked her. Um, we actually spoke, I don't know, two weeks ago or something. I, you know, I'd heard she, gotten mar- she got married. And I called her and I wanted to congratulate her. And I wanted to thank her because she helped me grow up and brought me along in my journey a lot. But at the same time, I, you know, I had a very big health crisis at the end of 2015, about four years ago, where one of the side effects of, as I mentioned to you, you know, this Accutane was digestive issues and I was diagnosed at the end of 2015 with Crohn's disease. I was extremely sick. Um, I lost basically close to 40 pounds in a month and was unable to absorb any of my foods and just I could barely get out of bed. And at the lowest point of my life, she and I broke up and called off our engagement. And in spite of the fact that in my, in my very being, in my core, in my heart, I truthfully did not want to marry this, this person. I was scared. Like, who's going to want me? I'm broken. I'm, 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 I'm not well right now. Um, I'm not worthy. Who, how am I going to support a family? Who am I? Who's going to want me? And so when that relationship ended, and in the manner in which it, in which it ended, it left me with a lot of trust issues, and it left me closed off to relationships and dating. And for at least, you know, a couple of years there, I didn't focus on relationships and dating very much. I focused on getting myself really well. And I went back to basics and I did all sorts of crazy stuff. And health-wise. Health-wise. And it, that's really where your, like, really experimental health journey really takes off. Yeah. I mean, I've been experimenting since 2001 in one form right. or another, but... As of the end of 2015, when that collapse occurred, beginning in, um, let's call it middle of 2016 till today, 
I just went to a whole other level doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And I talk about a lot of these methods in my private coaching that I've done, which tell you the truth, I actually, and you know this, I, I decided to wind down my coaching and I don't, I try not to offer one-on-one coaching services anymore unless I feel there's a really special connection with someone that I can really help. Um, previously, I'd been coaching you know, women struggling with infertility, PCOS, and men with type 2 diabetes and all these different types of, quote, diagnoses. But I decided to really be cautious about who I coach moving forward so that I can derive a lot of fulfillment out of it because the ideal person that I want to coach is someone who's frankly very similar to me who's willing to do what most people aren't willing to do. Because that's well, how you come out the other side. Well, I always understood your coaching as as like you're helping people read what's going on with their health. You're you're helping them learn the type of individual choices they need to make for their food. You're helping them ask the right questions of doctors. You're you're helping them essentially become the CEO of their health. Like your exactly job, right. you're you're not you're not saying here I ha- I'm a doctor. Here's the information. This is what you should do. You're saying okay, I'm going to go through this with you. Uh, first, let's get you on a better outdoors, more sun, more uh, simpler diet, and then we'll revisit it and say, let's uh, read some blood tests, ask good questions of the doctors, see where you're holding. In other words, to nurture yourself back to health, build an autoimmune, uh, deal with what we call the mysterious illnesses of our times. You're getting there by by essentially becoming a private, you know, guide with your with your with your people. So. If you're saying that you don't want to do this one-on-one, is it because you're trying to somewhat make this broader so more and more people can do this for themselves? Yeah, so the first thing is I want to take a stick of dynamite to people's paradigms. And that is, oh, baby. <laughs> I mean, really, like you don't have to pump up on supplements and spend tons of money to get well. You got to start with the basics. Take, you know, this sounds radical, but don't live in a room with Wi-Fi. Don't live in a room with a router. Don't well, eat. What, can I ask you about that? Sure. Um, so do you mean Wi-Fi in the house, but the router shouldn't be in your bedroom type of thing? Or do you mean like don't have Wi-Fi in your house? I personally don't have Wi-Fi in my home because I don't think it's necessary, right? I think so it's how does a, your computer operate? It operates exactly as it was designed to with an Ethernet cable. Yeah, I've, I've wired my house for Ethernet. Um, and Maya and I are moving up to our new home, which will be, which will be wired top to bottom with Ethernet cable. But so maybe, many people like, can't live without it at this point. That's just how it is. I, the counter I'm argument, just playing that advocate yeah, side. No, you know, I get like, it. The, the counter argument to that for me is, what's the most important thing in life to you? Is it the convenience of working at your kitchen island with a laptop? Or is it having the health of your baby come first? You know, it's like... I mean, I think the answer should be your health and the health of your children. But I think convenience is really the ultimate distractive force for, for health. I think the answer to a lot of things is that don't jump in with two feet to things that you're just not ready for. So if I told someone who's currently eating Twinkies and, you know, video gaming on their laptop every day to just unplug their Wi-Fi, they'd freak out. Right. But if I told someone who's following, let's say I was talking to someone who's like, yeah, I'm following a ketogenic diet and um, I drink only 100% filtered and remineralized water and spring water and I get out and I get sunlight. And I said, oh, do you have Wi-Fi? And they said, yeah. And I said, you might want to consider taking that out. It might not be jarring. So I lived with Wi-Fi in my home until 2017. And when I took it out, it wasn't 
it wasn't the easiest transition. Like I, I like working on my sofa, just chilling with the laptop and just doing my thing. But, but the reality is it's better to work at your desk but when you're working. And then when you're on your sofa, you're relaxing. In other words, you're compartmentalizing your experiences in your own home properly. It actually led to me compartmentalizing my work and confining it to an area that I could associate with my business. And then when I'm disconnected, I'm disconnected. So it had other benefits. Hey, it's difficult, but you're making a good point. If I worked at my desk and I lounged on my couch, I'd probably be happier than when I'm working on my couch. I personally developed a lot of mental associations with my sofa and working at a point. Like I would sit there with the laptop on my lap, friends would come over, and it was weird to me that I, I was almost twitching because I was, I was almost like, where's my laptop? Why am I not checking email? Where's all this stuff? Now, because I don't even have that option, if I'm hanging out on the sofa watching a movie with Maya or whatever it is we're doing, I actually would, would try to put my phone away from arm's reach. And sometimes I fail at that, by the way. You know, we, we play with our phones. We do dumb things. But it's, it's okay. Like, we're human. I don't need perfection. But we're just doing our best. And on the topic of cell phones, it's the same thing, right? Like, why do I, why do I need Wi-Fi? I can do almost everything I want to do for my cell phone. An unlimited plan with Verizon is, I don't know what it costs. But, I mean, I have one. And it's, it doesn't drastically alter my lifestyle to have it. I like to think that if I want to check an email or do something pretty basic from the sofa, I can do, do it. Do it on your phone. Yeah. And, and I, I'm, you know, I actually have wired my place for Ethernet to the point where I have a cable right next to my sofa. If I really want to work on my sofa, I just pop in the cable into the computer and that's it. But and it's I, not like you don't use Wi-Fi if you're at a cafe or if you're somewhere else. It's still available if you wanted to do that. It's just like you're saying in your own house, you're trying to make better practices and not having Wi-Fi isn't just about Wi-Fi going into you. It's also about the practice of how you live in your home. When there's Wi-Fi everywhere, you're working everywhere. Yeah, the, it, it started with actually turning off the Wi-Fi, unplugging the router at night. Because when you're sleeping, that's when your body's really at its optimum performance for detoxification and resetting and, re and regeneration. So it just started with, I don't want Wi-Fi at night. I want to I get a restful night's sleep. I don't want any of that going on. And then it turned into, I just don't need it. And then as it progressed, there were other things that I just didn't need. And my life, my life just got simpler and simpler. And thankfully, I've been able to attract into my life a woman who is just very aligned with me on my beliefs. Um, we don't really have, like, like let's be real, right? If, if I told this, this lifestyle of mine to a lot of different women, they would be like, yeah, it's a little extreme, dude. And fair enough, right? Maybe it's extreme to them, but... I would like to think that a lot of the habits that go on in, quote, mainstream society are extreme. It's, it's normal to inject yourself with Botox, but it's not normal to let radiation run rampant throughout your home. And I think that sh that's what I said about the stick of dynamite to people's paradigms about what normal is. Maya and I have this funny list of all the things that we think are backward in the world. And every time we come across one, we add to it, and there are just so many things that are accepted as the norm that are so backward. Well, that's quite the list. It's a funny list. And <laughs> if pressured to give you like the top five off of them right now, I probably couldn't, but it's a lengthy list and I'd be happy to share it with you at some point and you'd laugh Good your times. rear end off. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I identify with these things just simply because, you know, it's like, let's say you simplify your life. This, these are my goals. This is my vision for the world. This is what I would like to do. This is where I'm being reasonable about the impact I could make. So you start realizing you need good relationships. You need to give love and you need to 
get love. You need to have a community. You need to eat well. You need to meditate. You need to study. So your brain's being fed with new information. You need to work. You All those things are, quote, the simple life. It's not so simple. It's plenty of moving parts. We call it, it's hard enough to live day to day as a mensch and a good person. You don't need to break a leg to appreciate that your legs work. Like To me, that's that mentality. So you, uh, you trying to create um, a health structure around that has been inspiring to me and has you know, pushed me to do that for myself because here I am talking to people all the time about doing that spiritually when, uh, when I, I think it's given, a, given myself a boost to do it physically as well. And uh, so I appreciate all the uh, knowledge that you've uh, dropped on me and always available to tell me more about it. And I'm able to use it and share it with other people. And, and again, sometimes when you're saying something in the isolated form, Jordan, it sounds like, oh, here he is. He's just telling you. But then if you ask any questions, he goes, well, there's the other side. And the other side is also worth noting. And you find, again, more intelligence, more information allows you to make better decisions. And it's like I said, there's no one size fits all for anyone, right? You have to make decisions that are, that are really right for you because when it comes down to it, people are really in a place today where they're bombarded with information. It's all extremely difficult to make good choices. And it's up to you to have that radar and to know what is right. It's the same way that I walked into your living room and I took one look at Maya and I knew within a blink of an eye that this is a woman that I never want to let out of my sight. And when you know, you know. When you know, you know. And going back to four years prior, I was, I was, deeply, I was left in a place of deep mistrust, hurt, all those painful things and all, all the vulnerability that I'm able to express today, I was, I was completely unable to express as recently as, you know, three, two years ago. And I went on this, I mean, I'm, I'm getting into the love and dating topic that we touched upon briefly when we were off air, but dating in 2019 is, it's, it's challenging. And I didn't, I was never someone who dated a ton. Things always just kind of fell into place for me. And when I took those couple years and decided to not date as much, and do some work on myself. I still met women. I was finding myself having conversations with, with nice women, pretty women, interesting women, but nothing that, that stuck for me. Even the women that I wanted to be really into, I couldn't be into. And it always felt like there was something bigger out there for me. And I don't think it's a coincidence that I met this, this amazing like-minded, compassionate, intelligent, beautiful woman in your home. You, you really, you know, as much as you appreciate what I brought into your life, there's no amount of thanks that I can ever convey to you for what you've done for my life. You've literally altered the course of my life because in two days we're moving Northern California together into a single family home where we will raise our first child together and I'll have the privilege of getting to live near her very awesome family and to live a life that at some point I didn't know I was ever going to get to live. And as much as I have to thank her for that, I also have to thank you for that. Well, I appreciate it because it's not my end goal to be thanked for it. It's my end goal is to see 
people being able to build Jewish homes and Jewish futures. And, uh, and I really believe that at the core of Judaism is that when you're living a good Jewish life and building a home and a family, you effectively exponentially are going to impact the world in a positive way and bring goodness to the world. Like there's real value to the challenge of a healthy, balanced life and a healthy, spiritual, balanced life and taking your roots of whatever background you are, and especially Jewish people, the background and the backbone of Judaism is building this home and building this family and being able to take that with you. It frankly was hard to come, it's hard to come to somebody's home and see them alone and know that there's a lot more for them to bring to the world and all you could really hope for when you meet somebody that you like and is a great person and you put a mezuzah on their door is that you're not just putting up the mezuzah for them, you're putting up the mezuzah for their future as well and for them to grow. So that's really what it was. I came to your house, we put up a mezuzah on your front door <laughs> and like, uh, and here we are, uh, uh, you know, uh, we'll FaceTime the next mezuzah going up on your next door and uh, watching you take that next step. I really can't take credit for any of that uh, because ultimately... You know, it felt right to you and, you, and you and you did it on your own, and so I really couldn't take credit. I, I'm thankful that it happened through me. Sure, it makes me feel good, but I really can't take credit for all the effort it takes of a person to meet someone and build a relationship and make it happen and and use their convictions and and also let go of some of their convictions in order for that to happen. So as much as like you you uh, you live your life really incredibly nuanced you also have this great perspective of looking for other experiences and opening yourself up to that which is what allowed you to even come to me in the first place like i was used to meeting people who were very set on their health and they and they that's it that's what they're doing and that's and you were with that always also open and willing to see what's next and and uh and meet somebody new and have a new conversation and a new experience. So you get all the credit for your own work and your own life and your own effort. You're the man. No, you're the man. No, you're the man. We could continue on that for a while. <laughs> um, so listen, uh, let's end off with, uh, share with us some simple health steps people can take for Rosh Hashanah for the new year. It includes apples and honey. That's my first step. You dip an apple and honey. Uh, and uh, I can tell you about that if you want. You have a question? Why do we do apple and honey? Hey, why do we do apple and honey? It's a great question. It's because the idea of honey is sweet is because when you eat honey, you know it's sweet. So when we say have a sweet year, we don't want you to have a year that it's good, but it's good in the skies. We want you to have a revealed good year. So the sweet is you know it's good. And, uh, and honey is manufactured from the world itself. So there's this like idea that the world itself is sweet. It is good. And the apple is the Kabbalistic fruit of transparency because an apple, when you eat an apple, unlike other fruit or a lot of other things, you have to peel it. You have to discard a part of it in order to, to consume it. Whereas the apple, you could consume the whole thing. And as I learned recently, even the pits inside, you can just eat the whole apple and go for it. So the idea of taking an apple, a transparent fruit that the goodness inside has permeated the outside that you can even eat the peels and dipping it into something sweet like honey that the world is manufacturing, something that's obviously good, those two together is what we're bringing into ourselves for the new year. Well, on that note, what I could say is if you want to have the healthiest apples and honey experience. I personally like Granny Smith apples. They're the lowest in sugar. So you don't feel that like crazy sugar buzz after eating them. I like to peel all my apples because apples are one of the most common fruits out there, meaning they're mass produced, overproduced. And even though you can get them organic, 
organic has a very funny definition where a bunch of chemicals can still be sprayed on something and it's still organic. So I actually like to peel my apples as well. And then as far as honey goes, my suggestion would be, you know, at a very basic level, get something local, get something raw, try to even get the honeycomb and get to know a local beekeeper. We have, and if you can't do that, I have a couple of friends out here locally who have started a company called Beekeepers Naturals. I'm in no way sponsored to say this, but their product is definitely my favorite honey related product. One of our first plugs. <laughs> I mean, I, mean, I and it's, it's a it's a totally unsponsored plug. I get paid zero for See, it. This is what I'm talking about. I gave you some spiritual apple and honey. You gave me some real talk. <laughs> there you upgrade go. Upgrade that physically. A little yin and yang. It. I love it. You know, I was in, speaking of honey, I was in San Francisco and I had this epiphany that there's local honey and then there's local honey and local honey. And I went to the farmer's market and I found a guy who was all into local honey. And I told him that I heard honey helps you like deal with allergies. And my wife was struggling with her allergies. So he said, he said, what block do you live on? <laughs> and I told him what block I lived on in San Francisco. And he found me honey within like 25 blocks. There was somebody <laughs> on their roof. It's cultivating honey. He found that. And then we use that. Uh, yeah, the pollen. I mean, it's a real thing, right? If you can get local honey, like really local honey, it's essentially like low dose immunotherapy. So it takes a little bit of, I mean, I don't think you're going to get the benefits out of one night of apples and honey, but maybe. Start, what do you mean? The first night of the year sets just the start it off. what you're into. The placebo effect in and of itself is strong. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on and being so uh, giving and sharing. And I, I don't, wasn't trying to ask you to be vulnerable, but I think there's a lot of people out there who will really appreciate the fact that life is real. Life is also difficult. And it requires great effort and great growth and great and great vision for the future and also perspective of the past to really feel like you're capable of not only being successful, but having meaning and reason for being in this world and, uh, and really growing into yourself. So I think that comes across very well. Thank you very much. And uh, like you said, I just want to throw one other thing out there as, uh, as a commitment to myself and putting it out there in the, in the podcast verse. You asked me very quickly about my business and my site. My site was elevate.com. Truthfully, a lot of the health content on that site is still very applicable to a lot of people and really good. I don't align with it in large part because my health views have shifted and health is just a snapshot in time. I am currently working on my own site, which is just going to be jordankravitz.com and it's set to launch Hopefully sometime in the new year, we're working on some pretty cool backend stuff, content, and Maya is championing that effort. And even though my name is in the domain, that is very much our project together to share a lot of our story and our health views. And she doesn't like to be the front-facing individual, but I say this with absolutely no hesitation. I would be nothing without her. And I don't know that that project would have ever come to life if she didn't enter my life because she has been the driving force in reminding me how selfish it would be for me to not share my perfectly imperfect and vulnerable story with people who would benefit greatly from it. Well, I, that's beautiful. And I really wish you great success on this journey of taking your micro health ideas and finding the formula to, to, to the macro, how people can also go through this process of figuring out what, what's right for them and how to get there. And it's a beautifully personable experience that i'm glad you shared with us here today so thank you good times all right happy rosh hashanah 
And uh, thanks for tuning into our longest podcast ever. And uh, I mean, you know, to be broken on part two when we uh, regroup. <laughs> and uh, wishing you a happy and sweet new year, as well as uh, great success. Thank you, Paladin Studios. Look forward to speaking with you soon. Shem Tariti Ali Adi